Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 48, we discuss what the outcome will be for soccer TV ratings in the U.S. based on the USA's exit from the World Cup, news about Liga Mekis TV rights in the United States, and bad news for the Big Six in the Premier League in regards to revenue from international TV rights. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, let's kick off by uh, talking about what you've been watching this past week. Yeah, so it's it's been a busy week. We had uh, Friday games, obviously, in, uh, in in the Bundesliga, as we always do, and in the Premier League. So I watched West Ham Brighton. Uh, it was a, uh, a good broadcast uh, pregame. Everything from NBC, Robbie Earl and Kyle Martino were the... Uh, 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 analyst team flanking Rebecca Lowe this weekend, and uh, I, it's, it seems very dreary. Any game from the from London Stadium, uh, obviously Slavin Bilic is in a is uh, is up against it in terms of his uh, his ability to stay in this job and the continued poor results for West Ham. But I I, I sympathize for him because I, I get the sense that it's difficult to manage in in a situation where you don't really have a home ground, and I, and I think that that's what we're seeing with London stadium, it just, uh, at least how it's being portrayed and, and conveying itself on television. It's, um, it's like, it feels like a neutral site or, or the type of home grounds you have for clubs in other parts of the world where, uh, they have fan support, but you don't really have the, the built in, uh, home pitch advantage, which is a direct contrast to the bowling ground where West Ham United, uh, used to play at Upton Park. So, yeah, it, it almost feels like you're watching Serie A with a game, like with a track around the pitch. It's, it's not conducive to the TV cameras and it's not conducive right. to, I think, the fans at the stadium. I mean, it's a gift, essentially, for West Ham. No, and the, and the, and the Milan, Milan clubs at the San Siro, a, a ground they've shared for, um, 70 years or so now, um, is a, uh, or a ground that's 70 years old. They haven't shared it that whole time. But it, it, it's a, um, it, when, me, the, when Inter, Inter is better this season, right? But when Inter and AC Milan aren't good, which they haven't been particularly good the last four or five seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
they don't have a home field advantage. I mean, I've noticed it. it whether they're playing in Europe or in, um, in, in Serie A. And it, it's been very easy for the better, better sides in Serie A to go to uh, the San Siro the last few years and get results. Roma, Napoli, and obviously Juve. Uh, so I, I think West Ham is in a similar position. And you, it just it, because you, you have so much exposure to other English grounds and so much exposure to German grounds on American television, West Ham sticks out like a sore thumb today uh, at this point in time. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, it's it's not, not a pretty picture, uh, both on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, but, uh, I mean, they're, they're stuck with it. I mean, that that's, I, I mean, it, it is what it is. They've, uh, it's, it's their own fate. Yeah, so moving on, uh, watched the Chelsea-Watford game. That was an excellent match. Uh, obviously, Chelsea rallied from behind, but the top point is that Watford could have been up uh, three or four to one. Uh, there was a missed penalty call, and then there were missed um, missed opportunities for Richarlson, who's been outstanding this season, mm-hmm. and has been pretty good in front of goal too. But outstanding this season, uh, you know, he, he misses uh, uh, one or two really, um, ch- uh, really. I don't want the easy chance, but chances you would expect him to bury. So uh, that was a, that was an interesting match. Manchester City Burnley was was a kind of a cagey match. Burnley uh, played pretty well uh, as they always do away from home. They've gotten results this season at Chelsea, at Spurs, and at uh, Arsenal and at, at, at Everton. So uh, and the, sorry, not at Arsenal, at Liverpool and at Everton. So that was uh, a difficult, more difficult match for Manchester City than I think a lot of people expected, and it was a it was. A decent match. That game was on CNBC. England USA on FS uh, FS two, I believe it was, was going on at the same time, right? Because FS one had Frankfurt and Dortmund, which was also an entertaining game. The game where Dortmund blew a two goal lead uh, at, at Eintracht. Uh, the England USA game was um, a uh, one sided affair from the beginning. Uh, the US just didn't have the class to compete, and it was um, a, a call. Uh, Mark Followell and Tony Miola. Uh, they were um, they were decent. I think they were trying to rationalize the US's performance, which um, there's a tendency to do. Uh, they just got beat by a better team, and I would point out England didn't have Jaden Sancho, who had been recalled by Borussia Dortmund and then played in that uh, game at the same time against Eintracht Frankfurt when they needed a goal late. He was he was sent on, so that's one of England's uh, best prospects, Jaden Sancho, who came through the Manchester City Academy and now um, has been transferred to Borussia Dortmund. Uh, not in that match, and yet England won that game and then went on to win uh, the quarterfinal. Excuse me, the semifinal against Brazil. This was the quarterfinal against the United States, and are in the final against Spain, who um, very controversially made the final. One of the worst calls you'll ever see. Molly <laughs> um, Gold uh, disallowed a very obvious goal disallowed. That's they don't have goal um, for listeners who don't realize this. Even though we have go- we had goal line technology uh, and VAR. In in the Confederations Cup, we don't have it in the under 17s, hmm. and a perfectly good Molly goal uh, denied. Um, moving back, uh, moving back to uh, uh, the weekend, uh, Everton Arsenal on hey, Sunday Kelsey. morning. Hey, yes. hold on for a second because um, on Saturday, because I, I missed almost all the matches on Saturday, I, I was traveling. I'll get into that a little bit later. But one of the things I noticed, and I'm not sure if you noticed too, is somebody on Twitter posted uh, tweeted us and said that. Um, that, that soccer has um, is is no longer at, at its peak on U.S. television because there was a gap in broadcasting time on NBC uh, where there was no correct no soccer correct, on correct correct um, so uh, the games ended at noon 
on CNBC and on NBCSN, and there was no pregame show or goal zone show in between. Now, this is becoming a, a more and more of an issue with NBC. I think I bring it up just about every week that there's, there, there's some program missing, whether it's a match of the day being bumped to the next morning or not being shown at all. Now, this, to, this week it was shown at uh, – 11 p.m. or midnight after all their Notre Dame programming. And Notre Dame crushed USC on Saturday, so they had a lot to talk about. Um, but, but they had, um, they did have a match of the day at a normal time. But, or, or there's no goal zone after the um, 5.30 kickoff, well, uh, 12.30, let's use U.S. time, 12.30 Eastern time kickoff, that they, they'd be not missing goal zones after that or, or missing goal zones on Sunday, which again happened this week after uh, the 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern kickoff. Now this week uh, they did have goal zone after the 1230 um, game because they weren't showing Notre Dame. Notre Dame USC uh, was a primetime game, not a, a th- 3 o'clock or 3.30 game. But they did not have a link program between the end of the uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time kickoffs, 3 p.m. BST and the 12.30 game, which was on NBC over the air. Uh, we're going to get into the television ratings a, bit, a little bit later. There's no lead-in. But, Maybe but, that um, impacted but, it. But was that because it's Southampton against West Brom, or was it because they had other programming going they on? They had other programming. It's never because of the Premier League game specific. I hmm. think we figured that out. Well, think about this. They've had a game on NBC over the air every weekend this season, with the exception of the weekend, which Manchester City versus Chelsea was put in that slot. It's... Um, because they had golf going on. They had, I think it was the Tour Championship that weekend. They are, NBC's Premier League schedule now has become, which it wasn't the first few seasons, completely contingent on what other sporting properties, either NBC or NBCSN, are showing. And I don't know if that's because they've acquired more properties. Actually, it couldn't be because they've had the Tour Championship. It's NASCAR reacquiring NASCAR rights has um, has impacted it, but um, maybe it's just a lesser priority for the network now. Yeah, and, and, some, uh, and, and some listeners might be wondering, like, ah, that's no big deal, but, but it is a big deal because this is probably, a, if not the first time this has happened, maybe the second time, but it's very rare in the no, last I don't four years. This, I don't remember this happening at all. This, that the show in between the games was gone. It would either be on CNBC or on – I don't think USA. they've ever really done it on USA, right. the, the, the Goal Zone show. But they have done it on uh, – uh, or Premier League Live. Excuse me. This would be Premier League Live. They have done it on CNBC if they've had to. Yeah. They didn't do it this time. And I, I was searching frantically for it um, because by that time, the USA-England um, game was pretty much over. Uh, Fox Bundesliga was over. And um, it wasn't on. So we had a half an hour without any television on you, uh, without any soccer on U.S. television. That's very significant. I glossed that over, but thank you to our listener for, for reminding us of that. And it was, um, it was frustrating. And, that, and then obviously after West Brom, Southampton, uh, Arla White and, uh, and, and uh, Graham Lasso, was Graham Lasso Lee Dixon? Um, yeah, not sure. The I next day was uh, Lee Dixon. Right. But uh, I, I, I was really kind of um, underwhelmed by NBC's uh, inability to even lead into that game with anything. So here's how it, it started. It started very abruptly, the, the kickoff of that match. Um, Arlo 
White had a good tagline, I think Hello America, something like that, to, interdu- uh, to bring, bring us into the game because he knew there was no lead-in. Even when they don't do um, Premier League Live on NBC over there, which generally they don't, right? It's on NBCSN. There's still this sort of lead-in, this introduction. Rebecca Lowe go- throws it out to them at the ground. They talk for a little bit. They come back, and she says, well, switch to NBC at this time. Uh, you know, uh, kart racing or whatever is next on uh, – uh, it's not kart racing, but you know whatever. <laughs> Pretty much, it's next right? On yeah, right. Yeah. It's next on NBC, or uh, it'll be some some small conference college uh, college basketball game. But um, th- this time, it was just kind of this very auspicious a- a- entrance, and I think Arlo White did as, as well as he could. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he knew the circumstance where there was absolutely he might. It's possible Arlo White in his long career has never done has never had to abruptly jump into a game like that at. Kickoff. Now, there are times when maybe when he was broadcasting Sounders games where um, there was an, another event on the, on said channel that, that ran over and then you're, you're coming in in the 10th minute or whatever. But I, I think it might have been the first time, it would be interesting to ask him this, in his broadcast career where he had to start abruptly right at kickoff. There wasn't even, Chris, 20 seconds before the kickoff because they kick off right at 5.30 local time. Right. Um, yeah. So they didn't, even start, they didn't even start the broadcast at 12, 20 or 1228 and uh, there are a lot of times Fox doesn't have pregame shows for Bundesliga games but they will start they will start the broadcast if it's a 230 eastern time kickoff at 225. Well that's I mean Arlo is a good talker so 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 even though it's kind of maybe the first time he's done that I think I'm I'm sure and again I missed it but I'm sure he did a great job in terms of kind of that that uh first couple of minutes in terms of just introducing everyone and uh, leading right into the game so so even though it may not be natural for him um in some ways it it is in terms of just the way he does soccer which which is kind of a natural i mean other than having say and actually that's a benefit of having the uh the nbc commentators rather than say a a world feed where, where the world feed could be I mean, some english bloke that uh and there's no lead in it's kind of all right kick off here we go um, so at least they have um, Arlo White for that one. So, so Sunday though, Kartik, so Sunday was much better, right? Uh, in terms of NBC, uh, yeah. yeah. So they had Everton Arsenal in the morning of just an awful game, right? For, from an Everton perspective, and then uh, uh, Spurs Liverpool, just an awful game. I mean, it was North London just dominating Merseyside, I guess. It, yeah. It, I, on Sunday, I have to say though, I, I mean John Champion. I mean this is a game, the Everton Arsenal game, that you could tell that John Champion was was loving it. And, and you look at the first maybe say first sixty minutes uh, before the sending off, it was a really competitive game. And he, he had John Champion saying, "This is a good game," and it, you could really tell it was really open, end to end action. Uh, great co commentary by David Prutton, uh, and I think he does a really good job at reading, well, I think, reading the uh, game. I think Arsenal was very good. I mean, look, yeah. Rooney got a goal early, and Everton wasn't very good after that. And unfortunately, the one player who I think for Everton was playing well was Ghana, mm-hmm. and he was sitting on a yellow card, and Ronald Koeman made the fateful decision, because he got sacked the next day, to uh, leave him on with a yellow card and make an, uh, a sub someone else off. I think he subbed Ashley Williams off, or he subbed... Uh, Ashley Williams. Yeah, it was Ashley Williams he subbed off. I knew it was a center back. And... It didn't. It made them even more open when he did that. Uh, we thought maybe going to four at the back because there's now this talk among a lot of uh, football people. Yeah, maybe Chelsea should go back to four at the back. Maybe uh, um, maybe Spurs are giving up more chances with 
with uh, three at the back, and they should go back to four at the back. Same thing with Everton. So Kuman put that into practice, and they were even more open. And then Ghana gets a second yellow card and gets sent off. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a it was a entertaining game. Spurs Liverpool to me. It was a fantastically entertaining game because Spurs are so good to watch right now. Yep. Um, the movement, and they're playing um, the old Steve Sampson USA formation. The three three six one <laughs> is what we called it at the time. It's it's really a three a, a three four two one, um, and that's how Sampson liked to describe it because he had uh, uh, Claudio Reyna and Tab Ramos playing in what are now the Delhi Ali and uh, Sunrolls. And it's working brilliantly for Spurs. I mean, I've, this is uh, the third or fourth time I've seen them play this formation. Uh, one of the games was against Swansea, and they were brilliant in that match but couldn't score. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's interesting to see, though, um, the, the, uh, the commentary. And I, and I have to say this is something that I really like uh, what Arlo White is doing. Arlo White has been able to uh, somehow uh, communicate with Kyle Martino and with uh, Robbie Earl, if it's Musto, uh, Musto back in the studio and get their opinions and integrate them into a broadcast. I think we talked a little bit, a little bit about this last week. Mm-hmm. Did it again um, this week in Spurs and, and Liverpool. And the big talking point was, uh, was the Klopp making a substitution 28 or 29 minutes into the match, bringing Lovren off and bringing Alex Oxley chamberlain on, uh, which did not, nothing to help Liverpool defensively, by the way. Um, let, let, me, let me add Kartik on that one, too, because I, 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 agree, I, I agree that I love the communication between the studio talents and uh, Arlo and, and, and the co-commentators in terms of back and forth to make it really feel that uh, it's, a team, it's a team effort, which it is. But the one thing, though, that really pissed me off, uh, it, it annoyed me, as probably a better word, in that Spurs-Liverpool match is in that 25th minute where it looked like Lovren was going to be coming off. And Arlo and Lee Dixon both were like, well, maybe it's a tactical switch or maybe it's an injury. We're not sure. And they kept on really repeating that about four or five times. And even though, even after the switch was made, when Lovren went back to um, the bench, didn't receive any medical treatment, just went down and sat down, Arlo was still saying, like, well, we're not sure if this is a tactical switch or if this is if this is an injury. And I'm like, I think every viewer watching this game is probably saying, it's a tactical switch. It's it's not an injury. Otherwise, you'd have you know, the medical staff or he'd be going right back to the, to now, the locker room. this is funny. Um, this is a big difference between club football and international football for, for viewers. In international football, it is not uncommon because oftentimes you're in a you're in a qual- well in friendlies it, it doesn't matter right no one does it in friendlies but in qualifiers World Cup qualifiers or World Cup or Euro matches for managers who feel like we have three substitutions and it's a must win game to to make a change I mean I remember Fabio Capello against the United States Steve Chirondolo was killing James Milner in the first half of that game you and I yeah watched that game together and he made the change and brought Milner off in the 30th minute and brought Sean Wright Phillips on England played better from that point even though they conceded a goal after that Uh, I saw Bob Bradley do it later in that tournament Rico Clark was getting exposed horribly by uh by uh, Kevin Prince Boateng and um and the midfield of um of Ghana and he made a change in about the 30th minute saw it again um in the euros there's several examples of this you don't see it in club football very much the only example that stands out to me recently was when guidolin brought neil taylor 
were off for Swansea a year or two ago, and that, that erupted, right? That created all kinds of problems. You would know better than I mm-hmm. as a Swansea supporter. Right. Uh, so it just doesn't happen very much, which is why I guess White and Dixon were trying to rationalize it as an injury. When yeah. it clearly wasn't. And he went to the bench and just sat down. Right. It's not like he went into the tunnel. Um, yeah. It was pretty obvious what had happened. Well, well it, it was obvious, but then Arlo was still being very uh, PC, very politically correct, saying like, well, maybe it's a tactical switch or, or maybe, maybe it is an injury. And I'm like, look, look at it. I mean, we can all see that this is, this is a tactical switch. Just call it as it is. Don't uh, try and wait for the official confirmation. Just call it as you see it. Or if not Arlo, at least Lee Dixon should be as, as the co-commentator, as the analyst should be saying, okay, this looks like it's definitely a tactical switch and there's no injury, but let's move on. Rather than going round and round in circles, it just annoyed me in, at that point. But I, I agree with you in terms of the game itself was, uh, oh man, what a beating, but it, it was it was definitely a good match to watch. Yeah, yeah, Spurs are just good to watch. And this is going to be interesting on Saturday because you've got a Spurs team that's playing so well, likes to play football, uh, is, uh, everybody's on the same page under a great manager versus a, a Manchester United team who's, uh, uh, who doesn't like to play football against better sides. And, I mean, if they were, if they were fearful of Liverpool and parked the bus against Liverpool, what do you think they're going to do against uh, the Spurs? They're going to have to park like three buses <laughs> to get through that match. The way Mourinho, I mean, Spurs are that, which, that much better than Liverpool. Yeah, which, which United, United would be fine with that, I think, in terms of you mean getting a draw and moving on. And there's no, no shame in that. So. Uh, <laughs> suppose right but maybe you have an obligation when you've spent uh, 300 million or whatever they've spent in the last two summers uh since marina took over to play better anyway moving on wolfsburg and hoffenheim was an outstanding game on uh fs2 i guess it was yeah it was fs2 uh on uh, on sunday i like now chris that the bundesliga is kicking off and you and i went to a sunday game a few years ago uh in germany at, at leverkusen leverkusen and schalke and they were kicking off still at 11.30 Eastern time now. Now they're kicking off at noon Eastern time. Um, and it's giving me an opportunity every week once the Premier League is done to flip over and watch second halves of Bundesliga games, mm-hmm. particularly when NBC doesn't have a goal zone program, which, again, they didn't this week after uh, the game. And so I watched the second half of this game. Very entertaining. I know um, Hoffenheim's in a bit of a funk uh, in the last few weeks and uh, gave up a, a late goal uh, in this match, but a very, very entertaining match. Then uh, U.S. women's national team in Korea began. Uh, that was Seb Salazar and, um, and uh, uh, Julie Foudy. I, I want to give an observation that a reporter gave me uh, earlier this week about Seb Salazar's call all of this game, uh, and I've already lauded Salazar as being the, uh, the rising star. Uh, not, not only the rising star, but I believe he will be the star of the next four years uh, if we want to have serious conversations about the sport in this country. If you don't want to have serious conversations, then there are plenty of people on other networks that, that might uh, satisfy your fancy. But Salazar was, um, according to this reporter, and I watched the game as well, but I wasn't thinking this critically. Salazar was pushing the 100, uh, according to the reporter the absolute right buttons on Julie Foudy to, to make her give takes on more controversial things and uh, related to the women's game and related to, to the national team specifically and the, and the NWSL season. And he has that ability. We've seen that when he hosts ESPN FC. We've seen that when uh, he was on the Max and Herc podcast, uh, I guess it would have been two weeks ago now. 
to push push the buttons in a way that very few others do, or I should say are willing to do. I think that's really the, the issue with Seb Salazar. So uh, great call, great job from him and Julie Foudy. That led into decision day, which I thought was um, – was well done, but wasn't well watched, which we'll get into, I'm sure, later in the show. Um, Twelman was in his usual uh, excited form when it came to, you know, the, the sort of broadcast and, and a whip-around program, which which he and Moreno and Jay Heaps, who joined them on the set, excelled at. Uh, it was um, a really exciting day. Now, here, here's the thing. And we see this on final days of, of seasons in Europe, too, Chris, mm-hmm. that there's there – so many teams that have nothing to play for, and then there were few. There are just a few games that really matter, right? Yeah. Same thing as the last day of the Premier League season, last day of the Bundesliga season, Serie A. And there are so many goals scored in the games that don't matter, right? Right. That it makes it exciting because they're just playing very openly and uh, kind of carefree. And the teams that have mailed it in for the season in, the, in, in MLS, uh, every season it's Orlando at the end of the season. But this season they were joined by the LA Galaxy. Uh, those two uh, teams uh, shipped a collective 11 goals, if you want to combine, <laughs> combine uh, in, in this match. So, uh, or in this on this match day. And then and you had... Um, a fantastically exciting match between Minnesota and San Jose, the one game that really, really mattered. And then in terms of seeding, you had an important game between Columbus and New York City FC, which uh, ended 2-2. And I think, and they didn't get an opportunity to talk about it on air. And I, I, um, I, I had corresponded with Taylor Tolman during, during the day prior to the broadcast. And uh, uh, he gave me the heads up that they wouldn't be able to really talk about the Columbus situation because of time constraints. Uh, Ali Moreno, though, they taped another bit that was on the ESPN FC website. Ali Moreno was just, uh, you can imagine, is sure. the former uh, MLS Cup winner for Columbus, just spitting mad about it. But... They didn't, they didn't address the fact that MLS execs must have been rooting for New York City FC to get that 2-2 draw, eke out that 2-2 draw with Columbus. Because if they hadn't, Columbus, if Columbus had won, they would have had a home game in the playoffs, for sure, wow. in yeah. the first round. And you can just imagine how that would go. So um, I, I think deadline day was exciting, but the backdrop of Columbus is obscuring everything that goes on in MLS right now. And, and – uh, it's unfortunate for the everybody else in the league who's just trying to do their job and get get on with it. But uh, you know, you don't you don't have you don't have this sort of public relations disaster and this sort of uh, uh, this sort of defining event for a league and just move past it in a few days. I mean, it's 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 a it's a cloud over the whole league at this point. I, so, so I missed uh, decision day, but um, in general, I think in terms of the whole like, final day of the season, whether it's for the Premier League, whether it's for uh, MLS or other leagues, I think it's really overrated in terms of the, w- the way that it's televised. And you look at Championship Sunday from NBC, and out of all those, they make, they make a huge deal out of it in terms of having these games on Esquire and on all these different NBC affiliated channels. And usually there's maybe two to three games that really matter. I mean, usually there's a couple of games that have relegation implications, and then there's one match that has... I a, think last year it was only one game. It was if Liverpool won against Middlesbrough, that was all that mattered. Right, and the same thing with... There was this, no relegation. Yeah. At Europa League, there was a 50-point gap between Everton and, and the eighth-place team. And the same thing with, with decision day, too, in terms of you know, having so few matches yeah. that really yeah. matter. There and, was really one game that mattered, and if that result hadn't gone San Jose's way, then there were other permutations, right? But one game that really mattered, which was San Jose-Minnesota. Yeah. And that 
game went to the went to stoppage time and it was fantastic, but maybe ESPN would have been better off just showing that game. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. And, and going back to the Championship Sunday example, too, is that uh, NBC, I've always said that uh, they'd be better off if they want to do something like that, do it on um, Boxing Day. I mean, the day after this December 26th. So do it on uh, New Year's Day, where you have all these massive games happening uh, in England. Um, a, lot, a lot of they have implications where it's kind of the, the crunch time of the season where, I mean, you start to see kind of gaps open at, at the bottom or near the top. Uh, and usually over the holiday period, that's kind of when um, clubs often, uh, in quotation marks, you mean have a good chance of winning the season in terms of going on a run and racking up the points. And, and to me, that that'd be much much more entertaining than having something on the final day, making a big deal out of it, and then oftentimes, like nine times out of ten, it's underwhelming. It's it's overrated. It's you I mean it's just. Uh, it, there's so much hype, but so li- little substance and quality. But we can get more into that in terms of the, the TV ratings uh, a little bit later, Kartik. So what about yeah, uh, so, what about League Cup? So then, League Cup, I watched Man City Wolves. Great game. Wolves should have won. Uh, they are looking a an almost sure bet to go up based on uh, what, what I've seen of them this, thus far this season. This match was, of course, on ESPN3, as were all the, the key League Cup ties. And that was uh, – unfortunately, this game was so ma- uh, so good and so uh, – Tense that I, I mean I started out watching uh, of, of the Leeds Leicester game for 20 minutes and then once this game kicked off switched to it and wasn't didn't have the opportunity to switch back to anything else so that's all I saw and then uh, last night uh, I watched uh, on demand uh, uh, late last night the um, the and, and kind of fast forwarded through it the, the West Ham uh, Spurs game from Wembley and uh, Andre Ayew uh, had two goals one of which was because Michelle Vorm former Swansea well maybe not a former Swansea teammate um, they weren't there at the same time uh, spilled uh, what should have been a routine save but uh, and spilled it right right in Ayew's direction <laughs> wow. but um, and, and I hear this from Spurs fans whenever Vorm plays but I think you have to you have to understand a keeper a keeper who's been a, a, a starting keeper his entire career and now sitting behind arguably the best goalkeeper in the world and Hugo Lloris, or at least at this moment in time, the best goalkeeper in the world over the course of the last six months. Um, I, it's difficult to just be thrown in for a match and perform. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to stress that. But yeah, another mistake from Vorm that Spurs fans are, 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 are talking about this morning. And uh, lo and behold, Slavin Bilic needed a result and he got one at Wembley against... Uh, one of the two best teams in England. So uh, go figure. That's what happens in the League Cup. Yeah, so this past week I've been watching, uh, kicked it off on Thursday with uh, Red Star Belgrade against uh, Arsenal. Uh, really intense, uh, fantastic atmosphere. The fans were cheering and singing throughout the entire game. And uh, what a winner by Olivier Giroud at the end there, a bicycle kick uh, to uh, to get the, the win for Arsenal. And it was uh, He also won uh, goal of the year uh, this uh, week. Oh, yeah, Giroud. on the FIFA. From the FIFA, yes. Okay. Huh. And then they had uh, Glenn Davis and Alexi Lalas on the commentary in that one. I watched uh, Everton against Lyon. Oh, God. This was such a feisty, open-ended game. Uh, a lot of physical fouls, a lot of kind of... Uh, I mean, they had fans pushing players. You had uh, players pushing players. It was a really uh, ugly, scrappy match. Uh, Keith Costigan and Brad Friedel on this one. But um, I watched it just because it, it was entertaining. There was a lot of stuff happening uh, on and off the pitch on this one. 
Then on Saturday, uh, I was traveling, uh, my, my kids uh, playing soccer, so I was gone the entire day. Uh, came back and switched on NBC Sports Gold and watched uh, Swansea against Leicester. And, oh, God, this, th- th- they're playing so poorly, Kartik, that uh, Swansea's definitely going down. And um, Renato Sanchez, I mean, I, I don't know if Bayern wants to take him back, but but please, <laughs> please take him back. He's, he's horrible. Yeah, um, Swansea, I, I was trying to figure this out earlier. I, I just don't see, unless there are teams that are performing poorly right now that really are as poor as uh, they are that their position in the tables reflected Everton, Bournemouth and West Brom unless those three teams all perform really continue to perform really poorly which I don't think they will I don't see a way Swansea avoids relegation unfortunately yeah Stoke is the the worry I mean I'm sure that at some point they'll bounce back but Palace and Stoke but it's in such a horrible situation to be in where you're hoping that there's going to be teams that are are worse than you um, which is the same as last season really really too kind of Swansea uh, benefited from that and and a good run but um, yeah it's uh, bad times at Swansea as 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 uh, Everton too uh, speaking of Everton and watched the Everton-Arsenal uh, match, um, one point I'll, I will add is that I thought John Champion did an exceedingly uh, excellent job at reminding viewers of Rooney's first league goal he scored for the Toffees against Arsenal and David Seaman 15 years ago. And uh, Rooney scored another goal uh, this past Sunday that was almost almost identical. And uh, so to have somebody that's uh, been uh, commentating for so long that remembers that, that moment vividly. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember if he was actually the commentator that day at uh, Goodison Park 15 years ago, but whether he was or wasn't, he did a really good job of uh, updating viewers and, and you mean, uh, helping them understand. The whether context. he was or wasn't, in those days, John Champion did a lot of the club-specific uh, highlight uh, videos or DVDs that were produced at the end of the season. So it's almost certain he called that goal yeah. uh, for uh, for the Everton or Arsenal end of season video, and um, so one thing I, w- I would add also too, it was really great to see Robbie Earl back this week, uh, this weekend. It's been a it's been a few weeks since he's been on, and um, I thought he did a great job. He f- fitted right in, had some great analysis, and uh, really enjoyed having him there alongside uh, Carlo Martino. Uh, the Spurs Liverpool match I watched. We talked about that um, League Cup. I watched uh, Swansea against Manchester United. Even worse than the performance against Leicester City, but uh, Swansea at this point, it's such a walk in the park for United. They just strolled through this game, uh, completely dominated it. Uh, John Champion on the call again. I felt sorry for him, actually, in terms of uh, commentating on this game because of such a one-sided dire match, really. Um, moving on, I, I saw Brazil against England in the semi-final, U-17 World Cup. Let me ask you how you view this before you, uh, we move on. Uh, you're a Swansea supporter. Is, isn't it probably, given your situation in the league, best to be out of the League Cup? Uh yeah, I guess, but I have no, <laughs> I have no hope that that's going to help things, Okarotic. In some ways, oh, actually, in some ways, it's actually probably better to be in there. So at least you give players like Rookie Mesa uh, and some other the, uh, other players that are not getting any any playing time uh, really in, in the league or hardly. And any, even any. a guy, I like Mawson, who you probably want to to get as many games as possible at his age. Yeah, yeah. So, so to me, it's actually it's a bonus. Um, if you're Tottenham Hotspur, I think I think you're just probably looking at it and going, okay, we're out of the League Cup. Now we can concentrate on the Champions League and, and the League Cup uh, and the Premier League. But for Swansea, it's it's actually probably the other way around, where we, we that, want more games. 
That's that's actually a really good point because when I play football manager, I take the League Cup pretty seriously, not from a standpoint of wanting to win, but wanting to advance so that the guys that are not playing, because that, that, right. that game simulates everything real, uh, are not playing state match sharp because I know when it comes to the Christmas period, at least the way that game is and the way recovery time is simulated in that game, you're going to need your entire squad. Exactly. So it's actually funny. That's the way I think. Uh, <laughs> and then if I lose in the League Cup quarter. Finals, I don't care because I'm already in December and I've gotten the guys enough matches. It's funny, funny yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So in that regard, then I would have preferred Swansea to stay in the League Cup, but uh, it was not meant to be. So the, the Brazil England game, um, really good game to watch. Very entertaining. Uh, it had Mark Followell and uh, Warren Barton on commentating. Uh, a little bit too chatty and a little bit too conversational for me, but uh, they still did, did a great job. And um, England uh, advanced three-one winners and. Um, uh, it was at Ryan Webster scored a hat trick. Uh, Liverpool player. Um, I mean, they're looking good. He so. did against the United States. He did against the United States as well. Yeah, yeah. So they're playing what, Spain on Saturday in the final, uh, which is, I think is on FS2. Last but not least, I watched uh, Chicago Fire against uh, New York Red Bulls in the, the playoff match on Wednesday night, and uh, talk about one-sided matches too. Here, I mean, Chicago was was very poor. Um, and New York just it was a pretty straightforward game for them and an easy victory and off they go to the next round and Chicago's out until the next season now Karthik let's move on to uh, TV streaming news yeah so um According to uh, published reports, Fox Sports will likely cut World Cup travel costs by sending lo- fewer staffers to Russia than the four fifty 450- 450 and it originally uh, had planned to send as a result Fox Sports World Cup 2018 revenue will likely come in around $20 million under original uh, projections, $20 million. Also, Fox's ad sales is projected to come in 30 to $40 million lower. Uh, Fox Sports might move more games to, uh, to Big Fox for higher ad rates, which would be good for soccer fans. But this is all the residual effect of uh, the U.S. missing the World Cup, which we'll talk about more in our feature topic of the week. The Premier League's uh, big six clubs have been stopped in their bid to gain a greater share of the English top flight's lucrative overseas television deals. It was announced on Tuesday. Currently, currently the money from the globally popular Premier League makes um, from foreign broadcasting deals is shared evenly between the 20 clubs in the division. But the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City and Spurs, the so-called big six, argued their greater worldwide popularity entitled them to a bigger cut. But the decision was made um, in a meeting that um, this would not happen and that they will continue to uh, share that uh, revenue from international TV rights evenly. And we've talked about this, Kartik, in um, I think it was an episode last week or the week before. And um, this is good news for uh, parity, but at least given other clubs in the Premier League um, you mean an equal chance in terms of international revenue to continue to strengthen uh, their squads and, and build its depth. Yeah, and it's probably a good thing, I think, for the league as a whole uh, that this has happened. Uh, moving on, Univision Deportes has officially secured broadcast rights to all 18 of Liga Mekis soccer teams in competition through 2017. Uh, 2017-2018, including Lobos BUAP. Uh, this, the distribution deal includes live broadcast on Univision Deportes, television and radio platforms in major markets across the U.S., as well as digital platforms nationwide. This is a massive kind of a consolidation of this package. Uh, 
Uh, I do have to say, though, again, it's short term and, and uh, it's possible there will be a uh, uh, leakage in, in, in that because everybody negotiates separate deals. And for those who don't know this, a lot of the clubs in Mexico are owned by media companies. And that's part of the complication. That would be interesting, though, Kartik, if we had that in the United States where, say, Fox Sports owned a couple of the teams, ESPN uh, owned a couple of the teams, uh, so on and so forth in terms of the amount of coverage. and Well, you know, in the UK, uh, people like to forget this now because we're well past this era and foreign owners have come in and bought all the Premier League or most of the Premier League clubs. There was a period of time where B Sky B owned 20, 25 percent. They bought a, a significant amount of shares in each Premier League club, or in many Premier League clubs, and and uh, I can't help but think because obviously the Premier League started as kind of a sky venture, mm-hmm. uh, largely, but that didn't that that influenced television negotiations for the first few packages of the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I forgot about that, but yeah, you're, you're right. Um, in, in other news, Fubo TV has now expanded its Fox affiliate coverage uh, to include two more cities, and those are Boston uh, for WFXT and Miami with WSVN. So that's some good news there, Kartik, for you. With your well, I, WSVN doesn't show sure, you're right. I was the games say it's that much helpful. anyway. Bundesliga games that they keep uh, preempting, and you have to go try and if you. You on alternate sources, uh, so it's not really going to help in that regard. Uh, for, for those of you who uh, follow us on Twitter, follow me on Twitter, uh, and listen to the show regularly, you know we, uh, we we've had a back and forth about potentially having Alexi Lawless uh, on the program. Uh, I was hoping, Chris, that we would have him on this week. Uh, we're not able to do that, but we're working through the appropriate channels. And, and I know uh, uh, Alexi uh, would love to come on the show some point in the future and hopefully that will happen sooner rather than later and we can have uh, an open and, and frank discussion about his opinions his views of u.s soccer uh, his commentary we talk to him a little bit about, about uh, some of these europa league games he's doing as well uh where he i think he does a pretty good job yep yep definitely looking forward to that um moving on to the next segment and that's tv ratings and uh again we always print print or publish all the uh, the numbers at worldsoccertalk.com for those just looking at these um for this past uh, past week you had 1.9 million people watched a huge number for chivas against america on univision that was last wednesday uh and that game was uh, eastern time from about 10 o'clock eastern to midnight Massive number there. Also, you had Club America against uh, Nakaxia, and that was uh, 926,000 viewers on Univision and Univision Deportes Network uh, combined. And then looking at the Premier League, um, some of the other numbers that point, uh, jumped out, uh, 526,000 for Spurs against Liverpool on NBCSN. And uh, any other numbers there, Kartik, that, that jump out at you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think in general these numbers are not very impressive, and we can get into that in the um, in the next segment. Even um, um, the one point nine two million for uh, the the uh, Super Classico was lower than I thought it might be, but then again, it was a Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. That's true. And then, uh, last but not least, on the TV ratings, so th- for the MLS Decision Day, so all of the games were shown on a whip around show on um, the ESPN flagship channel on Sunday from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock Eastern, that had 126,000 viewers. Kartik, what, what, what does this say to you in terms of that number? Well, I, it says a few things. Now, um, 
there are people who think that maybe they would get a higher rating by just showing um, showing a game like the uh, Minnesota San Jose game because uh, there are X amount of people watching their games and then there there are X amount of people at the stadiums. Now the X amount of people at the stadiums argument always holds with MLS because it seems like. Um, the only people who are really interested in these games are so a significant number of people who are who uh, are really interested in the league, which is why the ratings are so low. Uh, are actually at games, um, e- even on Sundays when uh, they 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 show and they kind of isolate the broadcast windows that the people are either at that game or going to the other game that's taking place on a Sunday. I, I think uh, it's a very poor number. Obviously, I, it's not. Uh, there's no uh, sugarcoating that, but there are rationalizations that are being given. My, my uh, view would be, once again, the popularity of MLS tanks uh, toward the end of the season. We saw that with the attendance in Chicago. Uh, they reported 11,000. It looked more like five or 6,000, quite frankly, if you look at the stands at Toyota Park. Um, that there, And then the whip-around format maybe doesn't lend itself to good ratings. I'm trying to remember, when we've seen... The multi-match 90 from Fox for um, for Bundesliga and for Champions League. Have we seen similarly bad, similarly poor numbers relative to their normal ratings? If I remember off the top of my head, it's usually around about the 100,000 mark. Um, it, it, it is one of those things because you look at multi-match 90, you look at Championship Sunday. Well, not the Championship Sunday, but NBC has done also their, I forgot what they call it, but they have kind of their whip around show for Premier League games that they've kind of uh, trial believed. Oh, yeah, they've done that a few times, right. Yeah, and uh, usually the numbers are, are poor. And, and it is one of those things because it is, it's, I mean, you want to see your team. You don't want to see all, I mean, uh, 20 teams or 10 teams or however many there are in the league. Um, most listeners and most soccer fans out there support clubs. They don't support leagues. Right. And, right. and I think in many ways, same thing for the Premier League too, um, and the Bundesliga and MLS too, is that uh, the idea is good. I, mean, I love multi-match 90, especially on Champions League days where I'm trying to watch all the matches. I mean, obviously my team is not in the Champions League, so I just want to see the action. I, I want to make sure I don't miss any uh, of the goals or any of the talking points. So for me personally, it's I love it. But then again, the numbers are poor. So uh, and 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 are far lower than um, the actual game broadcasts. I mean, to me, in the future uh, for the decision day, I think ESPN or MLS is better off just picking picking the one game that's going to be, I mean, the most high profile game, and and then not worrying about the others or having so some of the others on, on on other channels. We can also say that this is. It's an indication as to how few people are interested in MLS outside of MLS markets. Nationally, definitely. Yeah, and it, yeah, it, it is. I mean, like, of all the fans that are, are not watching the local broadcasts and are not watching, not at the games themselves, this is how many people are interested in MLS as kind of a country, as a, as a nation. And I, and I watched it from start to finish. I mean, I watched the whole thing. So um, I'm one of those small number of people outside side in MLS market that's watching um, the, and, and, and uh, I had uh, the, uh, the New York Cosmos Jacksonville Armada game was going on at the same time which was on television throughout much of Florida but not in South Florida uh, Robert Palmer the owner of the Armada has bought time on uh, affiliate stations in, uh, in Orlando and Tampa so that game was actually on there as well it was a great game 4-4 game but um, and that was uh, really a kind of a decision day game for, for uh, NASL. If Jacksonville had won, they would have probably made the postseason. The Cosmos 
was getting the draw means they probably make it. So I was kind of keeping an eye on that at the same time, but I was basically focused on the MLS uh, decision day, and I enjoyed it. But again, I don't think there's much of it. I, there's just not much of a constituency for the league outside of hardcore fans right now. Is the bottom line. Right. Yeah. Even even among MLS fans, even the hardcore MLS fans, uh, hardcore fans of you know, Atlanta, Portland, even you, you name it, any club, are they that interested in the rest of the league? Do they kind of just want to tune in and watch other other clubs? Not so much. But all right, Kartik, let's, let's move on. Okay, listener mailbag. So the first uh, comment is from Scott from McAllen, Texas, and he sent this in through email. He says um, there are numerous academies here. Uh, where he lives in uh, Texas. But my only experience is with the USL and MLS academies here. The tryouts are free. I have seen a lot of uh, very good very good kids try out. But as soon as parents hear the price tag, it's a no. There's no trying to retain those exceptional kids. They move down the list into the club's fine parents who are willing to pay. I have heard that the Liga MX academies uh, here offer scholarships to those exceptional kids, but I don't have that information to back that up. All you have to do uh, to be recruited in baseball is to play in high school. Same for basketball and American football. There's very little cost to a parent. Now, Kartik, I, I, I know this one firsthand in terms of just uh, how much it costs and the expenses and, and how expensive soccer is if you have a child who's, you mean, who's talented and wants to uh, you mean perhaps get a try to get a college scholarship or try to get into the uh, the women's league or try to advance uh, her career or her potential career as an athlete in soccer it's an extremely expensive uh, proposition and it's a, a fundamental issue uh, for U.S. soccer it's one that's not being addressed and it's one that uh, I'm sure will, is going to come up quite a few times in the upcoming. Uh, presidency election for the um, ussf president and any additional thoughts on that one no i think i think you're absolutely right i mean i think it's going to be a huge issue uh, for at least for fans i mean whether internally in the ussf it's a huge issue it's, it's it's up to us to put pressure on the potential candidates to talk about it uh obviously eric winalda is going to be talking about uh, this sort of stuff of very, very openly and aggressively, but uh, if he's the only one talking about it, then uh, uh, it, 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 it tends to go away or it, it can be marginalized. So I think it's important that it, it's in, it is a defining tenant of the conversation we're having around U.S. soccer reform uh, this whole time. Yeah, it's one of those things that it's almost – I mean, we talked about this before, Kartik, in terms of um – uh, before we knew whether or not the U.S. is going to qualify for the World Cup. And I think you, you posted it, or you said it on this podcast. You, in some, some ways, you said that you wished that uh, they wouldn't qualify just because then we'd be able to actually fix the system. There, there'd be right. and, and, and blow it up, essentially. The challenge I'm seeing, though, Kartik, is that even with the, the candidates that are going to be running against uh, Sunil, which I'm sure he's going to uh, announce that he's going to be running too, is that we're not going to see that many changes. We're going to see a lot of talk, and ultimately Sunil's probably going to win, and it's going to be business as usual. So even with the U.S. missing out on the World Cup, we could still be in the same situation. That's, as that's perfectly fine and legitimate. Look, it, de- it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to have to make uh, United States soccer and Major League Soccer and, and – um, any other league that chooses to affiliate with MLS and with Soccer United Marketing, successful businesses in the kind of very closed-off American world, uh, where risk-averse investors have cost offsets and all of these sorts of things. Uh, sure. 
you know, yeah. go for it. But do not continue the pretense that you want to compete in the global game because you don't. Yeah, yeah. It's a great point because in many ways too, I mean, if you do want to compete in the global world's game, you have to fix the issue of pay to play and you have to figure they, uh, out a way to, to, to – Absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, you just imagine how many kids have been lost in that system. How many kids have had an opportunity to, to actually have gotten some great skills, natural skills, um, and then have dropped out of that and, and then moved to other sports. And um, suddenly, somebody, if the US wants to be a, a world power in soccer, somebody has to pay for that. Somebody has to figure out a, a way to bring them through the system um, that's not going to, you know cause thousands of dollars each year for for the parents to pay because most of them can't pay that so yeah it's um yeah a lot to take in a lot to talk talk about in in the coming weeks uh, before this election i'm sure let's move on to the next comment this is from tim and he posted this on worldsoccertalk.com i will add add uh is that tim's been writing um posting comments on worldsoccertalk.com for years and has always uh, been very pro mls um, so when he posted this, I was really surprised. But he said, unfortunately, the doubters have been proven right. I can no longer support MLS uh, when it feels like a WWE event where I have no control over the outcome. I wanted American soccer to work so bad, and there is still hope it might in the future. It's crushing because I relate more to American teams than any team I will never see live. MLS looks at the crew as holding the league down by seeing the numbers in Atlanta, Orlando, etc. But the one thing everyone forgets is that most of these markets are new and still have the new car smell. Let's talk in 15 years after highs and lows, losing seasons and fan bases losing interest. The metrics show that the lowest attended teams are the same originals that propped them up when the league was close to extinction. Soccer and sports in general are fun and fans grow close to teams, but if they can move the crew, they can move anyone. Yeah, I agree completely with Tim. And again, let's have the conversation. If uh, the crew and, and franchise relocation, because I, I, I've talked to someone high level this week in U.S. soccer who said to me, or around U.S. soccer, uh, not in the Federation, who sa- said to me, look, once expansion's over, relocation is probably the next thing to keep keep things moving. Now, if that, again, if you want to run a business that way, and this, the idea of this is to have a, uh, a strong soccer business, which is run differently than the rest of the world, but generates revenue, is entertaining for fans, uh, is it always able to find new fans and doesn't, consi- doesn't um, necessarily take into account the supporters' culture and loyalty and that sort of stuff, then do that by all means. But let's have the, the conversation now that we're not going to follow international norms, we're not – uh, looking to compete in a global game. We are Americans and we want to do things differently and, and maybe we think it's better. I, I don't know. But uh, I, again, I, I just, I've been struck, Chris, by the last two and a half weeks after the U.S. was eliminated for about two or three days, we had productive conversations, good conversations with um, with folks saying, yeah, you, right, we, things need to change. Then it became, oh, but we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. Things are fine. Oh, it, in uh, it's funny. They circled the wagons after a couple of days of shock, I think. Mm-hmm. And right now, it's as if um, everything is fine and, and everything's on the up and up. And I don't know how you can uh, uh, say that when based on um, a, a, law, a large sample size of results on the pitch, you're the fifth or sixth best 
sixth team in your in your region in yeah. Concacaf. That's the reality. Well, I and you were the best team in Concacaf uh, based on a longer sample size of results, which is World Cup qualifying for three consecutive cycles before that. So you've gone from first, first over a decade period, essentially the fifth or sixth. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I Personally, I blame U.S. soccer media for that, too. I mean, the journalists are out there because we were on that call, Kartik, on uh, Friday. Was it? it was actually uh, the 13th of uh, October with Sunil, and it was the first uh, media conference call after the U.S. crashed out of the World Cup. And most people were wondering, okay, is he going to resign? Is he going to announce that he's going to step aside? And, and before the call, I, I knew it. I, I knew that he wasn't going to change. I knew that he was going to stay in power and um, just brush it off. And to me, that call was really kind of um, encapsulated everything that's, that's wrong about U.S. That soccer media. Sh- that, was the day the narr- that was the day the narrative began to shift. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that. It was that day. I said for two or three days. That was that Friday, right? And yeah. then it just boom went the other way go ahead yeah well it was a mastermind of uh, u.s soccer uh federation kind of pr uh, magic uh in, in quotation marks in terms of not allowing uh myself or yourself to ask any questions and the questions that were asked mostly were softball there were there were some pointed questions i think on, on twitter i posted the kind of uh, who the pointed questions came from but the one thing i, that I walked away from on this one kartik was that everyone was just too nice they were too nice in in the questions they're like uh Sorry, uh, Sunil, but uh, I have to ask this question. And it, and it was really, I mean, I'm not really condescending. It was just everyone was just trying to be too nice, not to try to upset Sunil and not to try to ask the tough questions for the most part. I mean, there were some t- tough questions asked, but it was by a vast m- uh, minority of, of the people on that broadcast, on, the, on that, that, that conference call. And that's the thing, though, too. I mean, you take any media from anywhere else around the world. Uh, if a team crashes out of the World Cup, the first thing that happens is usually the coach is fired. And also there's questions asked about the, um, the organization, the, the, the football association within that country. And I don't know, to, to me, once that call was done, that was it. The narrative had, had started to change. And then you had uh, leaked news about uh, Columbus Crew possibly moving. And then the, the, the news cycle changes. Now it's everyone talking about the, the, the crew. Then you had the announcement about uh, the MLS All-Star game going to be in Atlanta. Okay, that's another thing that's – do they really have to announce that now? Not really. But it, it again, takes the conversation away from U.S. soccer um, and this big disaster. Um, and actually, that leads us in right Kartik, to our feature topic of the week, and that's talking about. Although I have to say, though, in, in, in fairness, the crew conversation doesn't seem to be going away. They're having a problem with that. They yeah. haven't been able to move past that. And completely, uh, I'm surprised that ended up being more symbolic than missing the World Cup. Look, I'm equally angry about both, and as I think people who watched my Facebook Live the other day, and it ended up being more about the crew than about the World Cup failure. Much more more about the crew. I, I, I put them as 1A and 1B right now in terms of disasters, but I'm surprised. The crew thing has lasted, has lingered longer than I actually thought it would. But so it, it, makes you, it makes you wonder, though, Kartik, this is conspiracy theory, of course, but it makes you wonder if someone within the USSF said, let's leak a story to, to Grant Wall that, that there's the potential of Columbus crew leaving uh, Columbus and moving to Austin. And, and even though, I mean, because a lot of people think that MLS and U.S. Oh, soccer yeah. joins at the hip, but uh, this is U.S. soccer's. I mean, best dream c- scenario is that everyone's talking about Columbus, no one's talking about Sunil. On that subject of leaking to Grant Wall, there is a feeling among one or two people I talked to that Grant Wall's suggestion that Julie Foudy. Uh, 
re- run and replace uh, replace uh, uh, Sunil Gulati might have been a, a strategic leak from someone at U.S. Soccer to force Fowdy to withdraw. Hmm. Yeah, because yeah. they don't want to face her. And so he actually obliged them. Maybe he didn't know he was being used in such a way, but that that was the strategy behind the leak, which was, okay, Julie Fowdy is a critic of the program. Uh, She's got an incredible persona. You can't compare her record as a player to anyone else because she's won all the, she's won all these titles. She's been on, she's been in, uh, on television actually longer than any former player, right? Because she, even as an active player, she was calling men's games. Mm-hmm. games or, or in the studio for men's games uh so she's been on air for 20 years she probably would be unbeatable so why not force her to uh to deny that she's interested and get her out of the way there's now so, uh, people who are not necessarily in the establishment who are having this conversation saying yeah uh because anytime julie Foudy's name comes up now chris it's like well she said she's not interested mm-hmm. well it became convenient to get her name out of the way early. So that's somehow – that's how people in U.S. soccer think and how they leak to journalists. I'm not saying Grant Wall was complicit, yeah. but he was the guy that was leaked to if that is the case. Well, that's the thing. Though. I mean Grant Wall really is being used and, and he probably doesn't mind it. He probably doesn't even realize it. But he's been used by whoever's leaking the information about Columbus Crew um, and he, he's breaking that news. That's a big, big massive story. But who leaked that to him? I'd be, I'd be interested to know. Um, and, and other things too, and, and even, even about Landon Donovan. Before, Landon Donovan wanted him to run for, for, the, for the race. Who leaked that information to him too? Because it, it, it's, I mean, right at this moment in time, he is the person that's breaking all the news stories and people are feeding him the news knowing that that's going to change the, the, the news cycle. Since, since you bring that up, and I know we're a little bit off topic, I'm just going to read you an email I sent to someone. One within U.S. soccer, this uh, with not in U.S. soccer again, but a very important, interested stakeholder in this election. Donovan's name is being floated. This is my words. In my opinion, as a spoiler to ensure Eric doesn't win, I've never heard Donovan articulate a vision for the program or an honest long-term critique, which is not an impulsive or single-game related critique of U.S. soccer. I do think it's good that he's a fluent Spanish uh, speaker. That helps in some regard. But I don't trust him at all as an agent of change. And this was done strategically at a time, in my opinion, to stop Eric's when, uh, when Eric being Eric when all this momentum. That's yeah, yeah. my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yes, I put that in writing now to someone. So I might as well just. Yeah, I, I think in many ways, I mean, he's, he's a backup plan. So if Sunil says, you know what, the uh, overriding kind of opinion within, you know, again, it was a trial balloon, but the overriding opinion within U.S. soccer circles. There- is that All he trial leave. balloons. Okay, so if you're gonna, we're going to talk specifically about Grant Wall. So articles where he lists about 20 people. This person might be interested in running. That person might be – this person uh, uh, has been mentioned but isn't interested in running. Those are all trial balloons meant to see what the reaction – is among people, right? And if someone gets a better reaction than others, then maybe folks in U.S. soccer can say, yeah, if Sunil doesn't run, we'll put that one in and that one will beat Winalda. So, yeah, they're all trial balloons. You're right. Now, as I'm thinking out loud about these, the, the, the Julie Foudy thing, the Donovan thing, the crew, and the, the articles, the, that article he had a week ago, which listed every uh, possibility under the sun. Charlie Stilatano, all, all these people, Rocco Camiso. Uh, that's what it is. And they want to see what the reaction is to every possible individual. So it's almost like doing an informal poll. It's like in, in politics, having a, having a poll. Yeah. 
and, and that's the thing that too, even though the Columbus Crew issue makes MLS look bad, it stops people from talking about US soccer right now and, and Sunil Galati. So right. I mean I, right. yeah. So let's, let's move on Carl, to, to a feature topic of the week and that is I mean in, in terms of this US World Cup disaster, what is this going to mean for TV ratings? Not just for uh, obviously the US is not in the World Cup but what is this going to mean overall uh, in your opinion for uh, TV ratings for not just the World Cup but for, for the next um, what, next 12 months? It's not going to help. Uh, that's for sure. I, we're already seeing now, again, it's a small sample size, but we're seeing the flatlining of ratings for the Premier League, MLS, and Bundesliga. The Bundesliga had been up on, uh, on the up and up until the October international break in terms of its numbers on U.S. television, and now it's flatlined again. There's less interest, I think, in the league automatically. That league might be the league where there's a direct correlation because I think the upsurge in interest in the Bundesliga was related to the number of U.S. uh, national team players in that league. And and now we're seeing that flatline. The Premier League, the ratings, uh, there's a soccer hangover very clearly. Um, And um, I think you have a lot of casual American fans who – have said, oh, well, I'm a Liverpool fan, I'm an Everton fan, I'm a Spurs fan, whatever, that now we're reassessing their commitment to the sport. Uh, so these are the ramifications, right? These, this, is, this is what happens when you fail. And if you fail in another culture where football is ingrained in the culture, there are consequences. In the United States, there seems to be no consequences right now for failure. Um, uh, and I know we're rehashing the same conversation, the same Taylor Twelman rant, uh, repeated rant on ESPN, Casey Keller's comments on, on ESPN, et cetera. But it, it's, it's apparent that um, unless there were some shakeup that would get fans, casual fans, and by casual fans, I don't mean people who are just American sports fans who don't really watch soccer. I'm talking about people who have come to the sport recently or are general sports fans who have decided they like a, a a certain Premier League team, right? Because the Premier League to them is the equivalent of the NFL or the NBA, and so they picked the a team. Uh, to get them excited again about, about the sport and about the United States' relevance in the global game, and uh, that's not going to happen. I mean, again, this is why, just from a PR standpoint, it might be important in order to maintain the levels of interest we have in the sport and get some sort of bump out of a World Cup that we've missed to have a guy like Winaldo or someone else who's a good spokesperson, who has different ideas, who's authentic and, uh, and seen as having a lot of credibility leading U.S. soccer instead of having the, the talking heads be Garber and Galati and then uh, television journalists or, 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 or print journalists who are not trusted anymore and don't have the credibility after. After, uh, they parroted U.S. soccer's uh, talking points for years, and then uh, including, you know, some who were arguing with me the week of, right before the Trinidad game that, oh, the U.S. would qualify out of most groups in UEFA. Come on, okay? Um, and these were and these are journalists who've argued with me on that st- on that score uh, because they are so ingrained. They're like embedded. They're like embedded journalists in a uh, in a uh, uh, military conflict. Some of these guys, right. seriously. Yeah. So. Um, Unless you have someone authentic who's going to uh, have a different view and be more credible like Eric Winalda, um, and I'm using him as an example. I'm not endorsing him yet. Um, you, 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 you're going to be in this stagnant stage, I think. And right. the consequences are enormous. I'll, I'll close on this, Chris. I don't think there's any way this is a, po- that, that, uh, this is a positive thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's just it's a how negative will it be? Yeah, will it be will it be cataclysmic and and 
game uh, falls apart in this country, or will we somehow build out of it and, and build to the future, uh, for the future, which is what I had hoped when I had said before 10 or 15% of me hopes we miss the World Cup. Now that that's a reality, I'm not liking the reality, but um, that's the question. Is this going to be a cataclysmic event that, that finishes the sport off in this country, or are we going to use it as a time to change things and build to be even bigger and better in the future? One of the most um, really attractive things about soccer, one of the most uh, lovely things about soccer in terms of a sport in the United States is the way that soccer is able to have a national team, is able to bring in uh, patriotism and pride in your country and to rally around a national soccer team which you don't get in other sports, in other traditional American sports. I mean, yes, in the Olympics you do, uh, but it's different in terms of a yeah. – at a professional level, in terms of a sport, soccer is in many ways the perfect sport because if you get your country into the World Cup, that brings in a huge number of, of viewers in terms of watching um, the World Cup, in terms of Americans that will pay attention because America is in the World Cup. And we've seen this before, Kartik, in so many of the World Cups where people that have no interest in soccer, absolutely zero interest, will tune into the World Cup. And, and the, the, the driving reason, the, the number one reason is because the U.S. is in it and the U.S. has the same possibility as all the other teams in the World Cup of winning it. And, and of course, once the games kick off, it's a different story. And for other teams too, you mean other uh, powers in the soccer world, it's, it's a tough competition to win. But at least everyone starts off with the same chance. And that is massive in terms of not having the U.S. in, in the World Cup because what, what, what happens is it changes everything within the industry that falls uh, below that. So if the U.S. is not in it, the TV numbers for the World Cup are going to be far, far less than, than what they were before, even with the, the Maradonas, uh, not Maradonas, Messis and, and uh, Ronaldos of the world. But the, the, the league ratings uh, coming out of the World Cup, you'll probably see some bumps depending, depending on who wins it. Uh, if, the, if England wins yeah, it. Yeah, where the stars play. If uh, Belgium wins it, then the Premier League will get a bump. England's not going to win it. So Belgium right. wins it, the Premier League gets a bump. <laughs> if uh, Spain wins it, then La Liga gets a bump. Yeah, or Germany Italy, wins, Italy wins, or Serie A. Yeah, you go down the Yeah, list. Italy or Serie A, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but so, so I'm, I'm counting, by the way, just FYI, sorry to interrupt. Uh, Belgium now is kind of the standard bearer for the Premier League, even though obviously Dries Mertens plays in, uh, plays in Italy. He's the one uh, significant Belgian player that doesn't play in England right now, It's uh, if I'm thinking offhand. So uh, I'm counting them as like the standard bearer for the Premier League because we know England's not capable of anything yeah so, so so if you look back like say two or three months ago and uh, at that point where it looked like the u.s would still qualify you had paul carr and espn with the probabilities of, of the u.s qualifying based on each result and it looked like it was like i don't know 80 90 percent chance of, of qualifying uh, everyone was pretty confident at that point but still a little bit nervous but- yeah, that's the thing about the spi they had the u.s the whole time when I looked at that uh, metric on ESPN FC, all, the U.S. never dropped below like 75% chance to qualify. Mm-hmm. And Honduras and Panama were somewhere in the 40s, 30s and 40s most of the time. But uh, that's why you can't base everything on those metrics. Right. And, and at that time, if, you, if, if it was the nightmare, if you had to think of the nightmare scenario, the nightmare scenario for Fox would be the U.S. not making it into the World Cup. Uh, the nightmare scenario for the USSF would be, of course, the U.S. not making it to the World Cup, which would mean in terms of um, 
I mean, probably millions in terms of lost revenue opportunities, whether it's through shirt sales or sponsorship sales, etc. And then for MLS, MLS is looking at it. They've been so intertwined with U.S. soccer in terms of uh, having a lot of the uh, U.S. national team stars, bringing them back to the U.S. and, and playing in U.S. and Canada uh, for the MLS teams. So so intertwined there in terms of the, from the, from a marketing perspective that uh, if the U.S. didn't qualify, that would be a disaster for MLS. So now that 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 disaster has happened, now everyone's having to rethink. So MLS was planning on doing an advertising campaign that was, I'm sure, going to feature all the kind of uh, the MLS U.S. national team stars, whether it's Michael Bradley or Josie Altidore or Clint Dempsey, etc. Now they have to rethink that completely, Kartik, in terms of what are they going to do? I mean, are they going to... There's not a lot of Mexican players that play in uh, MLS. Uh, yes, there are players from, you mean, Panama and Costa Rica, and but they're definitely not high-profile stars like, like Chicharito or, or other players like that. So they're going to have to figure out from a marketing perspective, which, which they will have marketing campaigns and advertising campaigns to promote MLS during the World Cup, hoping that they'll be able to go ahead and acquire, in quotation marks, uh, new customers, or new soccer fans that will then go on to watch MLS. That's going to be extremely difficult. Fox, on the other hand, it'll be a little bit easier. So rather than, again, focusing on the U.S. national team, they can focus on, on Messi's and Ronaldo's and some of the other stars. Uh, Chicharito is one. Um, but what happens if, if Mexico crashes out in the group stage of the World Cup? Um, well, Mexico crashes out in the group stage of the World Cup. My uh, my preferred choice for the U.S. national team coach will be available. So, <laughs> which is Joe Carlos right. But um, no, what happens if Mexico crashes out in the group stage of the World Cup for Fox? Because um, you know Fox is going to be it's yeah, all in, all in that boy, now in boy, Mexico. They're, they're really up against it, then, aren't they? Yeah. They're really up against it. They need Mexico to have. They put. I think they're going to probably put all their eggs in in that basket. Is there another country? national team that could be significant for them uh brazil we know rob stone kind of likes brazil uh, but there's not that constituency in the u.s that's going to watch fox uh, argentina because of messi uh, or maybe uh, colombia because there's a lot of colombian americans that presumably are up for grabs although i think they probably watch the games on telemundo uh, but i don't i don't know that colombia is going to do very well in this world cup either so yeah i mean they're really really up against it and Look, historically, you know, Russia is a little bit different because it's it's not Western Europe. But historically, World Cups that have been held on European soil well, have been European have been European World Cups, and but that's Cups, another thing. Yeah, let, let me just that's add that. That's why I think the U.S. was going to struggle. Well, the, the, I mean, the Russian thing is a huge uh, issue too. You mean in terms of if the U.S. had qualified for the World Cup, then the, the numbers would have been huge. But having Russia as the host in terms of the political climate that we're in right now. And uh, yeah. a, lot of the, a lot of fear of Russia is that once the mainstream sports fans that are not into soccer that might be interested in watching this tournament just for the sheer pleasure of watching I mean, world soccer, this foreign sport, in quotation marks, um, they're going to be saying, OK, wait, 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 it's hosted in Russia. I'm, I'm not going to watch that. I'm, I'm not going to uh, attach myself to anything R- Russia that's going to be promoting Russian cities and all this propaganda. 
So, so yeah, that, it, that's, that's a point too. That's a problem as well. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, from top to bottom, I don't think there's anyone within the soccer industry or soccer business within the United States that is going to benefit from from the U.S. crashing out. Uh, Telemundo is the only one that's probably going to be able to figure out a way, a strategy that's going to work because, uh, I mean, yes, they're going to ride the, 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 the coattails of Mexico, but even if Mexico doesn't, well, d- doesn't do well, they have so many other quality Spanish-speaking uh, countries and the fans of, right, of the countries. Right, right. But again, I think because it's a European World Cup, my assumption is, and I know people like Juan Arango will get very angry when I say this, but my assumption is that it's going to be a European World Cup, that I think the favorites are Germany, Spain, Belgium, France. Uh, those are uh, maybe Brazil you throw in there. Maybe they're the one not on uh, uh, European country you throw in there. I'm not sure how well uh, Japan and South Korea are going to do. Uh, South Korea is not very good right now. I don't know how well Japan's going to do as, as well as many good players as they have because, again, it's a, it's a European World Cup. And historically, we have seen when there were World Cups held on European soil or even World Cups not held on Latin American soil that um, Europe tends to dominate these, these – uh, European countries tend to dominate these World Cups, which I think was going to be an issue for the United States to begin with. Uh, I haven't discussed it because I thought after qualification we'll discuss why I think the U.S. will go three and out. And one of the factors is the factor of playing on European soil. And the U.S. hasn't won a competitive match on European soil since 1934, uh, by the way. And that was against another CONCACAF country. That was against Mexico. So um, I, I think it's the, all these factors are probably going to impact ratings, even on the Spanish language side, honestly. Yeah. Well, well, the other thing. But does it become a glorified euro? Then is the question because the euros ratings obviously were like uh, uh, three or four share on ESPN. I think it's still bigger than that, but it's um, not significantly bigger. The final though will still do a good number, Um, particularly if it's got if somehow um, you get uh, uh, two sexy countries. If it's Spain and Germany in the final, then I think you're going to get uh, you, you probably will have a number that beats between English and Spanish that beats the, uh, the game uh, the decisive game of the NBA finals yeah. which will be an obvious comparison point because it will be going on around the same time I think actually uh, I'll backtrack on what I said earlier. I think there is one thing that can uh, benefit one one thing or one person that can benefit from uh, the U.S. crashing out of this World Cup, and, and that actually is Fernando Fiore. I think if anything at Fox, he's going to be the guy that everyone's going to be looking to because here's a guy that uh, you know knows the, the South American teams well. Is, is kind of a you mean yes, he's a jokester and he likes to have a laugh and stuff like that and have fun, but uh, he's a guy that has more of a world view in terms of uh, world soccer. So if anything, that he's probably going to be looked at and, and relied upon a lot more because with the U.S. not qualifying uh, to talk about Mexico, to talk about uh, Brazil. And, and, this uh, is when uh, yeah, they made a decision. They didn't, they didn't pursue John Champion. They didn't pursue Derek Ray. They didn't pursue Ian Dark. This is where uh, that comes home to roost because there are – you could say, oh, they're all Brits, right? I mean, obviously uh, – uh, Derek Ray is Scottish, but there's this stereotype, right, that a lot of uh, defensive, insecure American uh, fans and people in American media like to, to spout about uh, Briti- uh, commentators uh, who are British from the British Isles. But uh, if you watch Ian Dark on the ESPN FC program when he comes on, um, I, to me it's remarkable because you don't necessarily – I didn't necessarily realize this with him as a commentator. He knows so much about what's going on. In other European leagues, uh, outside of uh, the Premier League, I mean, he, he, you're, you could have a very good conversation with him 
as Dan Thomas does often on the show, about Serie A and about teams in Serie A, about Napoli, about Monaco, about uh, Bundesliga. So I think you, you now don't have commentators with that that full basis of understanding of uh, European football where all most of the top players who were playing for Latin American countries um, and for Japan, the, the, the really the one threat in Asia, play. So uh, again, I, I don't know that they're going to be able to add the value the commentators they've got. They'll obviously uh, do some research. Uh, if Winalda is on the broadcast, we don't, well, obviously there's a lot uh, to be determined with Eric Winalda, but if he's on the broadcast, obviously you'll go get an expertise on the German Bundesliga and on players playing in the Bundesliga, not just German players, but players uh, from all over the globe, that will be useful for the telecast. But I'm not sure um, who else. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it's going to be a, a pretty difficult one, yeah. I think, for them. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, that Fox has gone all in with the, uh, a very U.S.-centric. Actually, so far, I think all of the people that they have announced so far for commentators and presenters, uh, except for maybe Kiabto, but commentators are very are all American. So they've gone in with an all-American approach. Um, they haven't named finalized the, the final names of that, but uh, I get, I'm, I'm sure we'll hear about that probably as we get closer to the World Cup draw. But... And that is a mistake, too, in many ways, too, because you have got this very American-centric um, uh, talent uh, for a tournament that is extremely world-centric. Um, and to me, at the end of the day, it's not about the accent. It's about the best quality uh, that you can get. And it doesn't have to be that you're picking an American just because he's an American voice. But if there's somebody that's better, uh, maybe even cheaper, who, who knows, that you can pull in and that's going to be you know, a better understanding of the game and is able to actually uh, entertain the actual viewer or keep, the, keep them enthralled a lot longer, go for that, uh, which is something that ESPN did. I think, I think though, you will have uh, people on Fox, American commentators, that do do the, a lot of research. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And- Get, get a sense now, now that they have an eight-month lead time or whatever since the U.S. has been eliminated to, to uh, really buckle down and try and yeah. uh, observe what some of these other uh, national teams that could be uh, significant threats in the World Cup, uh, what, what, they, uh, what they're about. I mean, uh, I think there's, uh, there, there tended to be um, on ESPN broadcasts and ESPN with ESPN commentators some – uh, I don't want to call it laziness, but some reliance on what players did in the Premier League mm-hmm. as a guidepost for a- analysis in both yeah. World Cups and Euros. Uh, and then you, you added to that a Premier League manager and Roberto Martinez on your, on your telecast. You had a very Premier League-centric um, focus. Yeah. Now, maybe Fox has the ability to go beyond that and kind of give more variation uh, to their broadcast. Now, I would suggest being kind of Premier League-centric when it comes to Roberto Martinez's current team, Belgium, heavily Premier League side, uh, base side, but maybe they are able to bring something to the table that ESPN and didn't because ESPN, I don't think it was a deliberate strategy, but they hired a lot of commentators who were either British or were connected to the Premier League, and also there was also the feeling that there was that familiarity with um, American audiences, right? So even um, with a Bob Lee or Mike Tariq or Chris Fowler, they knew that that, the U.S. audience had uh, a frame of reference with the Premier League, which they might not with Serie A. Mm -hmm. So they kind of went in that direction. Maybe Fox uh, is able to diversify their, their talking points a little more. So there might be some hope. 
Oh yeah, there's definitely hope, and, and definitely plenty of time for them to, to study up and, and get uh, everything, do the research, and be re- ready and prepared. And, and I'm sure they'll, they'll do a good job. I, I, I have no fear of that. But um, it's just at the end of the day, you know, I mean, it'd be nice to have a Derek Ray. It'd be nice to have um, some talent out there that's available, a Ross Fletcher or a, you mean I don't know, Glenn Davis or whoever whoever they choose that that um, would be a good good fit for this broadcast that that uh, is able to do a good commentary. Yeah, Glenn Davis would. I mean, I'm seeing Glenn Davis more and more on Fox. So that's that's pretty encouraging, yeah. I have to say. Uh, I don't know if he's in the World Cup plans as a, as a lead commentator. He's called World Cups before for ESPN, and he's called and he is one guy I know that studies the, the sport around the globe probably much more extensively than your average American soccer commentator. So um, mm-hmm. I, I, I would, if you're going to pick one random name of the Fox Group, I, Glenn Davis, I'd like to hear more of him on their broadcast. Absolutely. So, Conte, I'm going to end with one more thing, and that is going back in the time machine to 1986, uh, to that World Cup and to that summer, which was a fantastic tournament. Uh, it was on U.S. television. Uh, they had commercial breaks, so you actually watch any game. Went to commercial, you'd come back, and they would have scored a goal, or miss, you would have missed a goal. Uh, not the best TV experience by far. But one of the things I remember going up into that tournament is just talking to, you mean, talking to friends or talking to people uh, that were sports fans, not soccer fans, and asking them, hey, are you going to be watching the World Cup? And I remember back then, Kartik, they would say, nah, I mean, the U.S. is not in it. We're, we suck at soccer. Why should I watch this, t- this tournament? I'm not going to watch this tournament because the U.S. is not in it. And I think that's where we're at at this point um, well, yes, we'll get far more viewers uh, watching this World Cup than any World Cup uh, in the past in terms of the 86 World Cup, for example. Um, I mean, when the U.S. is in it, okay, the number's going to be big. But I think that that's the overriding kind of concern is among, my, among my the frame, mainstream. Yeah, my, I have a frame of reference of the 98 World Cup because the U.S. did so poorly in that World Cup. It was really just embarrassed itself. Uh, it the the thing and was eliminated after the first weekend i mean the us was one of the few countries that i can remember in recent world cup history that had been eliminated from the world cup uh within 5 days of kicking a ball right um and the way espn tried to keep people interested in that world cup was um i, I you know the ratings weren't very good after uh, the ratings were very good. I remember they showed the U.S. Um, Germany game on ABC. It, it was on a Monday afternoon, and the U.S. To be honest with you, didn't play that poorly in that game. There were portions of that game where Germany, uh, where the U.S. outplayed Germany, but then uh, Jurgen Klinsmann scored a goal that put it away. Uh, ironically enough, Jurgen Klinsmann. I just try to remember how um, ESPN handled the knockout stages and even the finals set of group games in that World Cup. I, I remember uh, you had um, Julie Foudy in studio and you had – I can't even remember who else was in studio for them at the time. It must have been Tommy, right? Tommy yeah. Smith was right around. And uh, Derek Ray called games. But um, I think they had Mike Hill calling games at the time, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe Jack Edwards, but I don't think quite Jack Edwards. Oh, Bob Lee hosted in studio. That's right. Um, and they had uh, Seamus Mallon. But there was um, this kind of embrace of the the global game, and Antikyo was around, uh, and I don't think it really worked. Now we're twenty years on from that, mm-hmm. but I, I even you even saw just kind of sports media coverage, uh, no, no coverage of the World Cup at all after. Um, 
after the uh, um, uh, the U.S.'s exit exit from that one. Yeah, right. Right. And 2006, though, let's look at that example. 2006, the U.S. got eliminated. Uh, Now, the U.S. made it to the final group game, and the U.S. was – no, I thought the U.S. was just unlucky to be in the group they weren't in that World Cup. I don't think that U.S. team was that bad uh, in 2006, but they were in the wrong group, and they had been overhyped because coming into the World Cup in the very flawed FIFA ranking system, the U.S. had been ranked in the top 10, maybe even ranked in the top seven, six or seven. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the FIFA rankings exactly coming into that World Cup, but the U.S. was ranked ahead of Italy, who ended up winning the World Cup and was in the same group as the U.S. Now, what happened after the U.S. was eliminated in that World Cup was interesting. ESPN and ABC were able to maintain enough interest in the global game and in um, other national teams in Italy, in Germany. Uh, Germany was hosting that World Cup. Italy, Germany, and uh, France in particular, those three, those three teams, I think, uh, and, and Brazil maybe to a certain extent, that they were able to sustain decent enough ratings to where they made the decision to make, and, and then also there was the, the uh, event of John Skipper becoming the head of ESPN. But uh, between Skipper becoming the head of ESPN and the encouragement of ratings they got in that tournament after the U.S. had been eliminated and after the U.S. were no longer a story and Mexico had been eliminated also by Maxi Rodriguez's uh, fantastic goal for Argentina, mm-hmm. that uh, they invested more and more resources in soccer over the next four years, culminating in a World Cup in 2010, which was the best promoted World Cup we've had in the history of American television. So um, – I, I think maybe 2006, this is me being an optimist, 2006 after the U.S. elimination, maybe that ends up being what happens. And no, we won't get the ratings that we got in 2010 and 2014, but we won't get the ratings we got in 86 or 98 either. Yeah, for the 2018 World Cup, um, Fox Sports, I, I believe, has to work harder than they've ever done before. And, and, and I, what I mean by that is that um, I don't think the Russian angle is going to help in terms of kind of the, the different vignettes and the different stories about like yeah. life in St. Petersburg and life in, uh, in Moscow. And, and, you don't, and you don't have the human na- interest National Geographic. for ESPN in 20. 20- Right. The World Cup I'm referencing, right? you don't have that. But they're going to push it, though. I mean, they're, they're going to push that as far as the National Geographic specials, having this little two to three minutes kind of uh, thing about life in Russia and uh, how wonderful it is, oh, well, whatever, whatever the take is. But I think personally that this World Cup, more than any World Cup, I mean, really, in, in my memory, is all about the action on the field. So you ha- have to have the best quality uh, talent, commentators, analysts that's going to able to focus on the soccer on the pitch and say, okay, this is why, look at this moment. This is why you need to keep watching this game. This is why this next game matters so much. Um, and, and, the, and you can take the best from ESPN in past World Cups. You can take the, the best from NBC in the Premier League when they've done, I mean, hit all the heights. And even them, even those, uh, that crew would have a really difficult time, a challenging time, uh, trying to hold the people's interest for this World Cup. Uh, Fox, on a, on a different level altogether, is going to have an r- extremely tough time. I, th- I think the ESPN crew and the NBC crew could do it. But you would take the best of the best. You would take the 
uh, Michael Ballack's, you would take Alexi Lalas at his height, you'd take uh, even the Roberto Martinez, the Taylor Twelmans, and the Robbie Earls, and Carl Martinos, and having them really break down the quality on the pitch, because that's where it matters, and that's where you're going to see the TV ratings uh, boost from, because the US is not in it, nothing else matters, it's all about the soccer, and that's my concern about Fox, is yes, they will have time to prepare and study and research ahead of time, but do they have the talent necessary to really uh, keep viewers watching this game and, and, and keep them watching the tournament all summer long? Yeah, and so that's um, that's a, a deck that Fox of has been unfortunately dealt. Right? It's it's not uh, it's it's not something that they are responsible for. It's completely out of their hands, but they're going to have to somehow uh, deal with it. And uh, let's see, maybe um, maybe this fosters some sort of greater understanding between the United States, the U.S. public and, and Ru- Russian public and, and uh, people in the countries, irrespective of, of, of governments, etc. It, it has that potential. Uh, but let's be honest, that's, uh, that's maybe just a utopian and optimist view that <laughs> yeah. the national Graphic specials and Fox's coverage can do that. Uh, in, in all likelihood, this is going to be a, a really uh, bad scene for Fox in terms of ratings, in terms of perception. And then you go into 2022. Well, they've got other FIFA events, right? They got the 2019 Women's World Cup in France that should go very well, yep. and the U.S. will be uh, will be decent in that tournament. And I don't think the U.S. is one of the favorites. They might. I mean, they're the the reigning champions, so I guess they are one of the favorites. I don't think they're the favorite. I think France, the host nation, is, has also got the best national team in the world now, in my opinion. So, uh, in in the women's game, in the men's game, you could argue they do as well. But in the women's game, for sure, in my opinion, they do. But they have some other intervening events before you get to 2022, which is going to be uh, another disaster, right? Whether the U.S. qualifies or not. It's just it's going to be a complete disaster from a television standpoint and from a perception standpoint, and, and it disrupts everything else going on in the world of football. So uh, yeah. it's going to be it's, yeah. I really it's a tough hope time. yeah. I really hope that Fox um, now that the U.S. is out. So in terms of the U.S. not making the World Cup, and we were talking about maybe it's a good thing because. Um, Maybe we could blow everything up and start all over again and make things better, which is kind of a, a very dreamy idea in mind. But it could happen if the right people are in charge. But for for Fox, it gives them an opportunity to look at everything in terms of uh, saying, let's, let's change our focus a little bit here because this is going to have a big difference. And, and I think hopefully David Neal, the uh, executive producer, and uh, Eric Shanks, uh, kind of uh, in charge of Fox Sports there, can make some wise decisions in terms of, okay, how does this impact things? Because the one thing I don't want it to, it to be is now that it's all in on Mexico, and it's all about Mexico and El Tri, and you mean, so much so that then it tunes out a lot of the American fans who are soccer fans. They're going to be like, oh, come on, let's, let's talk about some of these other teams that are performing. Yes, of course, they'll focus on, on the Argentinas and Portugals, etc. in the world, but um, it gives Fox an opportunity to really raise the bar or to try to raise the bar to new levels and it all comes down to the talent i mean the production is going to be fantastic but the talent is the concern and i guess we'll find out in the coming weeks who that final talent uh, list will be all right Kartik, so let's uh, move on if uh, if listeners are listening and they do have any questions feedback comments uh, be sure to hit us up uh, through uh, email which is web at worldsoccertalk.com through Twitter at WSoccerTalk and through Facebook at Facebook.com slash WorldSoccerTalk. We'd love to read out your comments, questions, feedback on air. 
And uh, Kartik, where can listeners find you on the internet if you want to uh, stay on top of what uh, what you're talking about? Yeah, KKFLA737 on Twitter, and you can find me on Facebook with my name, Carter Krishnire, and uh, various other places online, World Soccer Talk, among others, and uh, often on Reddit and other places, the Reddit soccer forums, etc. And uh, for those listeners who didn't get a chance, Kartik did a really great uh, video presentation on Facebook Live this past week uh, on the topic of U.S. soccer in crisis. And it went into a lot more detail in terms of uh, everything from MLS, NASL, USL, and, uh, and the U.S. men's national team, uh, and a lot of the kind of uh, related issues regarding that. So you can check it out either at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, it's on the homepage. There's a link to it. Or you can go to Facebook and Facebook. Facebook.com slash World Soccer Talk. And uh, it's definitely highly recommended. Definitely check that out. That's uh, well worth your time. So thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. And Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football.